you know, you'll have conversations about race and about environment issues shut down, yet every year we have uh, military rounds and, you know, politicians attending sports games and prime ministers making speeches and, and those sorts of things. Welcome to the Edge of Sports podcast. I'm Dave Zirin. This week we talked to famed Australian rugby union player David Pocock, who is a very influential activist athlete in his world, and he is announcing his retirement. Also, I have choice words about military flyovers, just stand up and just sit down awards and more, but first, David Pocock. So, First and foremost, uh, David Pocock, I got to ask you, um, 32 years old, why retire now? Yeah, it hasn't really been one particular thing. Yeah, I guess every athlete has to weigh up the the physical costs playing a contact sport. Um, And that's certainly something to consider. Yeah, I've heard... Rob Bell, who's an you know, American former preacher and, and author and podcaster, say you can leave when it feels like a graduation or you can hang in there and leave when it feels like a divorce. And it just feels like the right time for me. I've, I've had some amazing opportunities playing rugby here in Australia and representing Australia on a world stage at World, at world Rugby World Cups. You know, that, was a, that was a childhood dream for me. And I feel like it's time to, yeah, move on and, and contribute in other areas. Yeah, so what's your focus now going to be now that you're uh, walking away from rugby? The two things that really interest me, regenerative agriculture and, and how that fits into conservation. So I've been working on a project in Zimbabwe trying to create a new wildlife area whilst working with local uh, communities on livestock management, um, grazing livestock in a way that's going to regenerate land, which has sort of been, I don't know, really degraded over 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 the last couple of decades. So, been putting a bit of work into that on the side, and I guess now, yeah, get a chance to dive in and, and see where it leads. Now, this is so interesting because you know we talk to a lot of athlete activists on the show. Uh, I'm trying to think of any we've talked to where, where their passion is conservation and, and environmentalism. How did this become your passion? I, I grew up on a farm in the middle of Zimbabwe and moved to Australia as a, as a teenager in 2002 after the land reform program in Zimbabwe. My family, we were, we were kicked off our farm and um, fortunate enough to get a visa to, to move to Australia. So I Kind of grew up with a real love of nature and and, and of, of wildlife. Love my birds, uh, and then yeah, I, I guess learning more about the climate and, and biodiversity crises that we face, and wanting to learn more. I've been studying sustainable agriculture at university. Hopefully, finish off my masters sometime next year. And I really see agriculture as, as something that can play a, an important part in not only, I guess, providing some solutions to the climate and, 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 and extinction crises, but also starting to connect people more to, to the places 
that they live, where their food comes from. And I think certainly the case here in Australia, I think one of the big issues we're, we're up against is that we've become so disconnected from the, the places that we, we live. And, you know, I, th- I think when you love a place and are connected to it, you, you treat that land in, in a certain way. And when you feel like your health isn't tied to the land, you're, you're able to treat it in, a, in, a, in another way, which, which is not going to be um, sustainable over the long term. Yeah, I guess that's, that's where my interest lies. I, I took some time off in 2017. I had sort of a year away from Australian rugby to try and explore this a bit more, moved, moved back to Zimbabwe for seven months, got my hands dirty. Um, uh, it was a serious reality check. Um, but uh, yeah, really, really enjoyed kind of seeing how, how, um, I guess how the sausage gets made is a, is a saying over here. Oh, it's a saying over here too. Oh, good. They make sausages over there, but here it usually means something kind of gruesome behind the scenes. Yeah. 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 But I I did want to ask you, it's so interesting. I mean, pursuing advanced degrees while also being a top athlete is that typical in the rugby world and how is that received in the rugby community in your locker room yeah there's a really big push amongst professional footballing codes here to to get guys to study and and a lot of guys do um it used to be kind of the norm that that most guys would get through either some study at university or maybe an apprenticeship before they went into professional rugby um now that's not the case Uh, you know most guys go straight from school into professional rugby and and i did that as a 17 year old went straight into that professional environment so it's i mean i've been uh studying on and off for the last i don't know 10 12 years and still don't have that final certificate so it'll be good to it'll be good to get something and yeah i think it's something you you do if you you enjoy, and and I've certainly been going pretty going pretty slow. Yeah, one step at a time. Um, I, I find that the Zimbabwe part of your history and the 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 land reform and going to Australia, I, I find that just a very interesting part of your biography. How did growing up in Zimbabwe do you think shape your politics? That's a really good question. I guess looking looking back now, um, I was incredibly privileged relatively you know we we farmed times are tough we we certainly weren't wealthy but i guess when when the the land reform program started it was politically motivated on the back of the the government losing a well that they um tried to get some amendments to the constitution and they got they got voted against and after that they kind of they started this land reform where they were just targeting white farmers and black Zimbabwean farmers who didn't support the government. And I guess as a kid, having grown up in Zimbabwe, never it had never entered my mind that I would one day leave the country. And then all of a sudden, you know, the president was saying that white people are uh, the enemy and the reason for all the difficulties in Zimbabwe and, and, and white people must leave. 
I guess as a kid that was confronting and, and, and looking back now, that's, you know, given some of the political leaders we've got around the world, that's that's what a lot of kids are, are watching TV and, and seeing. And I think that had a profound impact on me. And moving to Australia, I, I sort of left with a bit of a sense of guilt. Um, you know, most of my classmates didn't have families who, yeah, w- could could get into a country like Australia with you know more perceived opportunities. So yeah, there was certainly there was certainly some guilt um, moving here, and and I, and I guess I tried to really put that into um, my drive in, in sports and and wanting to you know, be the best player I could be and 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 play at the highest level. And even with that history, you're an avowed uh, anti-racist, which I think is is certainly very interesting and and very uh, very important. Like coming from that biography and also emerging as somebody who is a stalwart opponent of, of racism, of anti-black racism. Yeah, I mean, my experience moving to Australia was I arrived here. And I had a a funny accent got got teased about that but sport was my outlet like that was where i could throw myself in i turned up um once you're part of the team and you're playing well no one cares you know where you're from or or, or how you how you speak you're part you're part of the team yeah i'm just so grateful for the opportunity sport gave me to make friends to feel like i belong to something to challenge myself but i compare that to a black Zimbabwean friend of mine who also moved to Australia at a, at a similar age and he loves his rugby too but the amount of racism that he encountered um, at school on the, on, the, on the sports field yeah it, it, it's it's kind of really made me um, think about just how important it is that we are leading in sport and trying to create sporting environments that are more inclusive for everyone that every kid can have that opportunity to feel like they're part of something regardless of you know what color their skin is what their sexual orientation is um that you can you can turn up and and just be valued for what you bring to a team you know of course in the united states we have just shut up and play syndrome where whenever athletes try to speak about the kind of issues we're talking about there are invariably people on the right wing of the spectrum who tell them you know just shut up and play just shut up and dribble whatever have you uh do you have that over there in australia has that affected you at all and what do you say when people throw that at you that you should be basically somebody who plays but is not heard (laughs) oh it's it's alive and well here yeah, we, we certainly get that here. And the the thing I would say is, you know, you, you're you're human first. You know, I, I think your your work sort of really encouraged me and inspired me to be more um, more active in actually talking about the things that I think are important. Uh, I. I know what it's like to be that kid who kind of looks up to athletes and idolizes them. And, and I decided pretty early on to try and use whatever platform I had to 
talk about the things that that I thought were important and hopefully get younger um, boys and girls who are interested in rugby thinking about those things. So, you know, I think sport has such a um, big, I don't know, standing in in Australian society um, that we are starting to see more and more conversations that are clearly political um but yeah they, they are often shut down and, and you know you'll have conversations about race and about environment issues shut down yet every year we have uh military rounds and you know politicians attending sports games and prime ministers making speeches and and those sorts of things now we had that in the United States, this wave of uh, basically athletic strikes for Black Lives back in August. Uh, did, did the news of that uh, reach over there? And did the actions of U.S. athletes did do they did they give you inspiration at all? Yeah, U.S. sports have have a huge amount of currency here in in Australia, and and yeah, of. Um, uh, a lot of my teammates follow, yeah, the NBA and the NFL, um, so that's that's certainly had an impact here. Um, in in Australia, we've had um, people like Adam Goods, who have just been sort of such amazing um, spokes, such a great spokesman for. Um, working to build a more inclusive um, Aussie rules environment um, when it comes to racism. He, he's, a, he's a proud Aboriginal man and um, has been pretty vocal about it and has, has yeah, pay, paid, paid, paid the price. He's, he's been vilified by um, a lot of the, the media over the years um, and I've kind of seen the effect that I think that's had on on other um, Aboriginal athletes when they see someone that they look up to and respect so much get get that sort of um, that sort of treatment. Um, but I, you know, I, I really hope that it's it's starting to change in terms of athletes beginning to see what sort of role they can they can play and 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 starting to be able to. Yeah, talk about things that normal human beings feel like they can talk about. Mm. Uh, do you have heroes historically? Like people you've looked up to in this department, people who've provided you with inspiration? Yeah, yeah I, I growing up, Muhammad Ali was always a, a, a bit of a hero of mine um, in sports. And then... Yeah, I guess a heap of a heap of heroes outside of sports who are more involved in in environment and conservation work. Mm. Excellent, excellent. And you know, one one of the things that I always ask folks when they come on the show is I ask them what what music they're listening to these days, and I'm, I'm genuinely curious what fills up your headphones, David. 
Um, there's an Australian band called Gang of Youths, and they're, they're well worth checking out. Um, yeah, they, they do some great stuff. Matters of the heart, unreserved, I'm irrational, and rarely ever start. Since the world's dark, and often inhumane. Nice. I will have to check those out. We'll try to put some of that music uh, underneath. Um, I mean, this is your retirement, and I think your fans are going to miss you. Do you have anything else you'd like to say to all the folks who've supported you over the years and uh, have your poster up on the walls and are really going to miss seeing you out there? Yeah, I, I guess I'm really grateful for the support I've had. And, um, you know, I think we, there's kind of this this myth of, of personal achievement and every athlete you see out there has had so much support to, to get to where, where they are. And so many people have sacrificed so much. I mean, in many ways, um, being a professional athlete, getting paid to do that is, is, can be a pretty selfish pursuit and you have to be pretty single minded. And, and, you know, I think at times, the people around you have to have to carry the burden of, of a lot of that. So yeah, very grateful um, to my wife Emma and, and and my family for all their their support over the years. Mm, absolutely, no, that's that's. I'm glad you mentioned that. And it really seems like you and Emma are like this uh, dynamic duo that's about to go save the world. Would you say that's an accurate assessment? <laughs> yeah, we're we're great mates. We get on well. She's actually just launched um, an organisation called Front Runners, uh, which is working with athletes and sporting organisations here in Australia to help them act on environment and climate issues. So, trying to trying to sort of reduce the barriers. Where a lot of athletes feel like they either don't know enough or want to be involved but aren't sure how. Um, so she's she started working with uh, with a bunch of athletes on that. Oh, fantastic! We'll have to get Emma on the show, or if she has anything that's really popping off, that would be terrific. Yeah, she's a lot she's a lot smarter than me, so she'll be uh, she'll be a good guest. <laughs> Tremendous. Well, David, I really appreciate you waking up at the the crack of dawn where you are to do this interview. It's, I hope we get you on again. Thank you so much, Dave. Yeah, th thanks for having me. I'd be well, sir. Thanks, Dave. Uh, that was David Pocock, ladies and gents, uh, Australian rugby union superstar announcing his retirement. We'll be back right after this message. Thank you so much, David Pocock. Uh, now a quick word about the nation's first ever festival. We are having a festival of ideas taking place virtually from November 18th to the 21st, four days of wide-ranging conversations, briefing sessions, and interviews in the wake of the most critical election of our lives. It will be featuring Senator Bernie Sanders, Naomi Klein, Michael Bennett, who I will be interviewing, Alicia Garza, and many more. Tickets are on sale at thenation.com slash nationfestival. Check it out. And now back to the show. We are back, and now it's time for some choice words. Okay, look, there is no broadcast team more pleased with their own stentorian authority than NFL announcers Joe Buck and Troy Aikman. 
Joe Buck is an American legacy, the son of legendary play-by-play man Jack Buck. Troy Aikman, the blonde, handsome, former star quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys, might as well be Captain America's uncle. These two voices of the heartland were caught on a hot mic speaking the kind of truth they never would have dared to utter on the airwaves. During last Sunday's game in Tampa, military fighter jets flew over Raymond James Stadium, something as normalized in the world of the NFL as $10 beers. Aikman, in a moment of assumed privacy, as Samer Kalip at the website Defector revealed, said, that's a lot of jet fuel just to do a little flyover. Joe Buck responded, that's your hard-earned money and your tax dollars at work. Aikman replied, that stuff ain't happening with a Kamala Biden ticket. I'll tell you that right now, partner. The outraged merchants on social media lost their collective bearings. Here are Buck and Aikman and all their red, white, and blue branding disparaging something as patriotic as a military flyover. Troy, even more outrageously, then seems to tip his hat to a Kamala Biden ticket, although this could certainly be interpreted as a dig at Biden-Harris by saying Harris's name first, not to mention he could be saying that patriotic ritual would suffer under a Democratic administration. It's all open to interpretation. Now, on Tuesday, Aikman sought to clarify his comments on Twitter, saying, I love a flyover, but it was odd to see this one over a mostly empty stadium. But I am an unwavering patriot that loves this country, has always respected our flag, supported the men and women in the armed forces, as well as those in uniform who serve and protect. And for anyone to suggest otherwise doesn't know me, my beliefs, or what I have stood for my entire life. He then added, as if the point would not be clear enough, an American flag emoji. It's a damn shame, albeit a predictable one, that Aikman would backpedal with the alacrity of Marlon Humphrey. Hot Mike Troy is absolutely correct that military flyovers are a terrible waste of money and an ozone-tearing amount of fuel. These flyovers are rooted in a financial and commercial partnership between the NFL and the military, where the taxpayers foot the bill. The implicit message is, as George Carlin taught us, football is war. Objections to this state of affairs should not be considered partisan. But no one in NFL land wants to be an apostate towards fealty to the military, in part because they've spent the last four years slandering a certain exiled quarterback for being anti-military after he dared take a knee during the anthem to protest racist police violence. No one can be seen as against the troops. But this flyover practice definitely demands criticism. In 2015, Rear Admiral John Kirby, the Pentagon press secretary, and spokesman for the Secretary of Defense said of Super Bowl flyovers, there is a minimal expense involved. I think the whole thing soup to nuts for the flyover will cost something in the neighborhood of $80,000. Now that doesn't seem very minimal when millions have been pushed into poverty since the start of the pandemic and hospitals still scrounge for personal protective equipment. For the military, however, this is money well spent. The spectacle acts as publicity, which matters for both recruitment as well as making people feel warm and fuzzy about an institution that gobbles up hundreds of billions of dollars in tax money every year. In 2008, Blue Angels press officer Tyson Dunkelberger told the LA Times, for the publicity aspect of it, I'd say it's definitely well worth it when you consider the cost to advertise during the Super Bowl. The more people see our blue jets and recognize the Navy, the better it is for us. 
These flyovers are a not so cheap ploy to drum up recruiting and burn a ton of fossil fuels on our dime. Objections to this should not be controversial, but the NFL has wrapped itself so tightly in the military that to publicly criticize the ritual is akin to criticizing not just the NFL, but the United States of America. This is twisted beyond comprehension. End the flyovers, end the NFL's obsession with the military. And while we're at it, defund the Pentagon, protect the environment, and rebuild this desiccated husk of a country. We'll be back right after this message. Now a quick word about a novel called Delay of Game. The time is right for a progressive action slash comedy novel mashing up the pre-COVID NFL and international espionage. People need a laugh. They need a sports story that reflects the current social and political landscape. They need a football commissioner who's corrupt as hell. They need delay of game. The manuscript is ready, so drop Cameron Miller a line at contact at catsreviewmovies.com. That's contact at catsreviewmovies.com. And now back to the Edge of Sports podcast. We are back. Now it's time for the part of the show we call Just Stand Up and Just Sit Your Ass Down. The Just Stand Up Award Stand up. this week goes to every single athlete who is out there right now trying to get people to vote. You know, young people are already coming out in record numbers this election season. And when you consider the way young people have actually been the source of hope the last four years, whether fighting around gun violence, whether fighting around uh, Black Lives Matter, whether fighting um, around environmental justice, uh, it's something to see them actually connect their activism with going to the polls. And athletes have been part of trying to make sure that young voter turnout is higher than it's ever been in history. I am all for welcoming our Generation Z overlords. Let's make that happen. So thank you to every athlete who's doing that work. The Just Sit Your Ass Down Award. Sit your ass down. Sit your ass down. Goes to a agent in the NBA who spoke anonymously because he or she is most likely he is a coward. And this is what they said about the bubble. They said, the NBA initially did a great job by putting the bubble together and they completely shit the bed with all this nonsense. They really hurt the business, all of this Black Lives Matter stuff. I think that the players are being manipulated into something that they don't really understand. And I think it's a horrible look for the league. And they need to be very clear about the organization, what they stand for. If that's what the NBA wants to align with, they're really hurting themselves. They're not helping the players. They're hurting the sport. When ratings are down 30%, who are you helping? This comment is so rife with arrogance and ignorance, and it totally sounds like something a sports agent would say. I've had my dealings with sports agents, met a couple of good ones, but overwhelmingly, they are just this arrogant and just this ignorant. The arrogance comes from this agent saying that the players don't know what it is that they're fighting for, that they don't know what Black Lives Matter means and that they're being led astray as if they're somehow idiots or animals. I mean, he might as well say they have a leash around their necks and being pulled one way or the other. It's incredibly arrogant. And of course, there's a racism element there that can't be ignored. It's ignorant when this agent, and this is what the agent's supposed to do for a living, talks about the ratings being down. You know, it's another sport where the ratings are down dramatically, NASCAR. That's hardly a sport that is teeming with Black Lives Matter messaging. 
We talked about this last week when we interviewed Jane McManus, a sports writer and professor at Marist College. The reason why ratings are down is the pandemic. It has disrupted people's lives and it has dislocated people's affection for sports at a moment where people are very desperately trying to live their lives in as sane a way as possible. Uh, sports just haven't been on the agenda for a large portion of the sports watching population. To say it's down because of Black Lives Matter is just rooted once again in ignorance. So that with that arrogance and with that ignorance to this anonymous sports agent, just sit your ass down. Sit your ass down. Well, that's all the time we have for this week's show. Thank you so much, David Pocock. Thank you so much to the producer of this podcast, David Tigaboo. For everybody out there listening, first of all, go back to last week's show. Listen to Jane McManus and what she had to say about sports viewership. It's very fascinating stuff. For everybody out there listening, wear a mask. Please stay frosty. We are out of here. Peace.
When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.